one for three. One for three? Or yeah, one and that's two? That's what I meant. One for three. Oh, one for three. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> USC, baby. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 706 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, April the 24th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network. We've got a lot of great stuff coming out across the network, all four big four sports, as well as the NCAA Power Conferences, NFL Draft Reaction across the board, as well as the first round went down last night on both the national and local shows over there. If you're a hockey fan, there's some ideas percolating from the NHL, whether or not they're uh, well-advised ideas. That That's not for me to say, but... You can still listen to all the local NHL shows to hear what the thoughts are on that, especially, for example, Edmonton, which seems like it might be a place that houses some NHL playoff games if and when they're able to come back. So go listen to Locked on Oilers with Tom Gazzola to hear all about that. And as always, please subscribe to Rate Review. All the good stuff that we ask you to do, it's very much appreciated. Helps us with rankings and algorithms and all that stuff. And if you haven't yet, go to my Twitter and vote on yesterday's draft that Katie and I did, picking the best off-court moments of the 2019-20 Raptors season. Uh, it's very close right now, and so please go vote. I want to win. Vivek beat me in the, in the first draft this week. Please go help me beat Katie in the off-court moments, although she picked a much better team objectively, so uh, I'm expecting to lose. Anyway, let's carry on. On today's show, we are continuing the theme of looking at the 2019-20 Raptors season, as is uh, across the board the the case on the network this week. And to do so today, I am joined by Joe Wolfond of The Score. We're going to talk a little bit about awards and whether the Raptors might be on end-of-season award ballots. Joe, how are you, my friend? I'm doing all right, all things considered. I feel like that's always uh, the qualifier that you have to throw in there, all things <laughs> yeah. considered. But yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm managing, um, still still writing and um, just sort of getting through it. How about you? I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm uh, you know, I'm doing the morning radio show, so I'm like up and out of bed early every day. I'm not really sleeping away the days, which I think might have been an issue had I not been uh, <laughs> having to go into work. But uh, I'm avoiding depression, sleeping, and instead just taking intermittent naps, which is nice. Um, let's uh, let's dive into this, shall we, Joe? The Raptors have a lot of guys who I think are in the running for some awards. Whether or not they come out with many, I'm a little bit skeptical, just because. The value of this team, sort of the, the the tenet of this team, is that it's very cohesive, and there's a lot of reasons why they're good. There's no one standout above the rest reason a lot of the time, although Kyle Lowry, I'm sure you could argue, is that most of the time. But it's still, it still, it leaves the awards up for a lot of debate. I'm not even sure for a couple of these, in particular one who is the most deserving to be on the final ballot. And so we're going to work this out today. Uh, let's start off. Very quickly with the MVP, which the Raptors are not going to have anybody who wins the MVP, probably not anyone who finishes even top five. But I do think there's a chance that the Raptors, maybe two guys, get sort of the odd cursory fifth vote because people like teams that win a lot of games and maybe they finish fifth on the ballot. Um, It's down to Kyle Lowry and Pascal Siakam for that if and when that does take place. Joe, my question to you is, who should be, who is the more deserving guy of throwaway fifth place MVP votes that maybe get some down ballot consideration? I mean, I I would say that it's Lowry. I just think that 
like when you think about who was more important to the team, um, who was relied upon more. Uh, I mean, Siakam, obviously, what he was able to do, you know, at both ends of the floor, like all, all of the weird defensive schemes that they're able to put together, he's such an important part of that just with his like ability to be a, a disruptive rover all over the floor, you know, his versatility and ability to play any number of different roles within any number of different schemes. And then obviously, you know, his ascension to being a number one option on offense. And uh, like, I think if you look at the on-off numbers, he was outside of Gasol, like the most impactful Raptor, you know, they kind of just fell apart without him on the court. And I think, you know, so often they just, they needed him to carry him, carry them across the finish line late in games. And I, you know, I think his ability to, to this season, just be like a self creator and a, an independent scorer who could take the ball and go get you a bucket in crunch time. All of that was super important, but I, I still think at the end of the day, uh, like the heartbeat of the team was Lowry and, I've said this before, but I just think like so, so much of what's slept on about him is how he makes everybody on the team better. And I think we saw so much of that this year. And like all the guys who had breakout years, uh, I think Lowry had so much to do with that. And the way that he sets the table for everybody um, is the reason that the Raptors continue to be as good as they are, I think. Um, and, and his defensive contribution shouldn't be slept on either. Like he is such a disruptive force at that end of the floor. Um, and so much of it is just like beating guys to the spot and being there ready to take charges, whether he's actually taking the charge or just like spooking them into like traveling or passing out or, you know, otherwise just like fucking up their sets. Um, he does so much, I think, underappreciated dirty work. And I don't know, man, like at the end of the day, I think like what he's able to do as a playmaker is what kind of ties the team together. And Siakam is still coming into his own in that regard. And as much as he may be a better scorer than Lowry, I think on the whole, uh, the offensive impact that Lowry has, you know, in the way that he's able to kind of get his own offense, but also still set other guys up uh, in a way that's putting them in position to succeed. I don't know. I mean, I, I still think that he was the most important guy this year. Yeah, I think so, too. I think you can make a compelling argument for both. The, the on-off numbers you mentioned for Pascal are really impressive, and I'll get back to those when we talk about all defense. But, um, like, Lowry, I just, like, you know, MVP, I think, too, there's room for, I think, some of the more touchy-feely ways we evaluate basketball and sort of the narrative and storyline aspects, too. And this really did feel like a season that was defined by Kyle and I think his sort of statistical profile might even be more impressive had he had the team not been so good when he missed those 11 games early on. I mean, we were all terrified when that happened, and they, they pulled it out, and they made it happen with, like, janky-ass offense and even jankier defense. But, you know, in, in a real sort of, like, usual Kyle Lowry season, that would have been, a, a like, a drop-off, like, a really significant drop-off. This just, ha just happened to be a very good team and, you know, was really good at defense. He could kind of get by, even though their offense fell off a little bit. And, and so, I, like, his numbers, I don't think, are fully reflective. And, look, none of the numbers for this team are reflective of anything this season because there were so many guys in and out of the lineup. And, you know, the lineup data is all completely screwed up, and it's really hard to pull much from just all of the small sample theater that we see when you go through the Raptors' advanced stats. But... I think just the way Kyle had so many games where he kind of put the team on his back and, you know, you had the Mavs game, you got the Celtics game after Christmas, you've got the Jazz game just before uh, the pause, you've, and, you know, so many other games in there too. 
I felt like there were more games like that where Kyle just sort of took the bull by the horns than there were for Pascal. And Pascal, you know, not through really any fault of his own, he was learning the ropes as a number one option. His efficiency wasn't, you know, terribly impressive. He had a lot of wonky shooting nights. He had moments where, you know, like whole stretches of the season, really, where he seemed to kind of be fighting himself a little bit. And it so happened to coincide a lot with, you know, when the team was winning anyway. I mean, he had some pretty rough games even during the 15-game winning streak. But Kyle was so damn steady through all of it that, it just kind of lifted every boat, and I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think Kyle is the MVP of the team. Um, you know, you could argue Pascal's the more talented slash better player, maybe. But I think in terms of like on court impact, Kyle definitely takes it. And the fact that he like completely went back to sort of pre culture reset and pre Kawhi like offensive aggression and things like that and getting to the basket and getting to the line as much as he did that was totally like out of left field and I did not expect it and the fact that he did it is just bloody impressive at age 33 um so I'm gonna go Lowry too I think he deserves it I don't think it's necessarily likely that you know it's gonna be close for him to even get to the fifth spot but I think if there are gonna be those throwaway votes he definitely deserves it Let's uh, let's continue on here, Joe. Let's look at all defense. Uh, like Defensive player of the year, I think, is kind of locked up. I think it's going to be Giannis or Anthony Davis, probably Giannis. Um, maybe L.A. sways it towards Davis, but you made a very compelling argument for Giannis on your podcast with uh, Joey Cash on Pound the Rock a couple weeks back for why Giannis should be Defensive player of the year. So we don't really need to go too deep into that. And I also just think the Raptors were such a well-balanced defensive team, and there are so many guys that it would have been hard for any one guy to sort of get the focus of all the voting to even get on the, all the on the defensive player of the year ballot. So let's just focus on all defense. And still, I have no goddamn clue who to pick to to make an all de- defense team for the Raptors because I, I think they deserve one or two. Okay, that's interesting. So, so here's what we're working with. I think they deserve one or two guys. I think. You have Marcus Gasol, who by the numbers was the most impactful defender. I think you have Pascal Siakam, who is maybe the more overrated defender of the bunch, although I think there's a case to be made that he was better than people uh, who sort of watched the team and think he wasn't that good. I think he was pretty good. Anyway, uh, I think OG is probably the best defender on the team. I think Kyle is the most fun defender on the team and kind of the one that I want to see get like a legacy spot. And I think Fred Van Vliet is maybe the most underrated defender on the team who has the gaudy steel numbers and is you know the reason why they were able to work with a backcourt of two six footers it's because fred's so goddamn good no matter who he's up against so who do you think deserves all defense consideration among those five i think that's the five we're stopping at abaca was nice but i don't think uh i think offense was more his bag this season so among lowry fred siakam og and gasol who would you have on all defense og yeah um and it's funny because like Cash and I actually are going to record our pod like right after this, and we're doing all defensive teams today. So I'm I'm fairly prepared for this, and I put a lot of thought into it. And I mean, for one thing, like Gasol, maybe if he had played more games, like I think yeah. he wound up with 35 games. And there's a lot of competition at the center position, obviously. You know, between uh, between Gobert and Brook Lopez, Embiid, Adebayo, like. I think he was maybe in that mix and certainly would have been if he'd, if he'd played more, but I just don't think uh, that, that he accrued enough minutes to really be in that conversation. OG only missed one game, mm-hmm. um, and I know, like, the Raps' defense was like a total team effort, obviously, um, and 
for all those janky schemes and like the different zones and blitzes and full court presses that required everybody to sort of be on a string, I feel like OG was the guy who was basically always guarding the opposing team's best player. Right. Uh, and especially in crunch time, like when they just needed a stop and wanted to play it straight up one-on-one, he's the guy they turned to. And um, you said, you know, you think he ultimately is the best defender of the group. I totally agree with that. And I like he has this combination of strength and footwork and anticipation. And I think like the thing, he really took a leap this year as far as being a defensive playmaker, I think. Mm-hmm. Like in the past, he, he's obviously had those attributes and we've seen how good an on-ball defender he can be. But he wasn't really like creating turnovers. He wasn't really blocking shots. And suddenly this year, like, he was pressuring the ball. Like, I feel like his hands got so much better. Like, there were some games where he was just, anytime the ball was in his vicinity, he was stealing it. Um, and and he's like, he has this incredible footwork where he's able to pressure the ball. And he doesn't really get himself out of position while doing it. Um, and I think he got a lot better as a help defender, too. Like, I still think probably Siakam and Gasol and probably Lowry as well are better overall team defenders but I don't think any of them is nearly as good as OG as um, like a, a man-to-man defender. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with any of that. I, I, I Like I said, I think he's the best defensive player on the team, and I really think the stretch before everything went to shit really kind of illuminated just how good he is and that turnover sort of machine that he became you know the six steals against Charlotte the seven against Denver in that Denver game also being the only guy who give who could give Nikola Jokic any kind of trouble playing center I mean that was sort of the game for me that I think probably swung it and you know maybe very much believe he is the best defender on the team I I'm just worried a little bit about the sort of glut of guys in the front court on the on, on the all defense team so I'm worried that OG might get squeezed and also I'm worried he might get squeezed by Pascal who I think maybe is viewed as the better defender by sort of the general NBA viewing public and look I I think the criticism of Pascal's defense this season was maybe a little bit overstated yeah he had some games where he'd get a little bit lazy because he you know probably was tired from carrying the offensive load and you know he'd get blown by quite a bit but I also think of all the guys on the team, he was probably the most essential to them playing those janky schemes. And, you know, I think he led the league in threes contested. And when you look at the hustle stats, I mean, they have three leaders in three different stats in the hustle stats, which is incredible. Lowry, uh, Fred, and Siakam all show up in different categories. But, like, I think with the way the Raptors so aggressively contested threes and allowed those threes because they knew they could get to them, and, you know, with the way they would send doubles, I think to the, you know, the games that, you know, where they would send doubles towards the stars and you have to scramble behind that. And Siakam so often was one of the guys leading the trap and then was able to get back and scramble and contest and rotate. And I just think his ability to cover ground was so necessary to what the Raptors did and what made them such a unique defense this season. So I think you could make that argument. Also, the numbers suggest that his defensive uh, contributions were incredible on the floor. Um, The Raptors had a... Where the hell's the number here? Uh, Actually, never mind. It's not so crazy. Uh, (laughs) I thought it was much more. Um, But yeah, either way, I I think the, the way he played defense is really important to how the team got by. And so I, I, don't, I wouldn't be like totally upset if he got the nod over OG just because of he's sort of the bigger name, although it's maybe not terribly deserving. 
And I think he also, the thing too with Siakam is that I think it was really put on display the difference between him and DeMar DeRozan this year, where Siakam could have games where he would go 8 of 24, but he would have four, five, six incredible plays on the defensive end in crunch time, no less. And that still kind of saved him from those wonky shooting nights, kind of bringing down the team. So I think that is something to consider here. I ultimately think it's going to be one of the guards that gets on just because it's a bit of a thinner class of guys that you're contending with, I think. And hmm. so I'm rooting for Kyle to get on. I think he deserves it. I think he's deserved it for a long time. And there's no nothing more fun to me than him taking a charge. And he's such a like maniacal on-ball defender. It's just it's such a joy to watch. But I think it might be Fred with just because of the steal numbers and people look at that. And, the, and you know, he's kind of... I think what made that backcourt, like I said earlier, kind of tick and made it so they could go up against bigger dudes and get by. What are your thoughts on the guards here and whether or not they might squeak in? I actually don't think that either of them deserve it and not because I don't think, you know, they're both not fantastic defenders, but just because I I, I think there were four guards who were better than the okay. two of them. And as to you know, whether one of them might get voted on. Um, I kind of agree with you that if one of them does it, it'll probably be Fred, uh, not just because of the steel numbers, but I feel like maybe as a carryover effect from the finals last year when everyone sort of got to see the ball hound that he was capable of being. Um, I think, uh, like, so again, I was doing this exercise for the pod I'm about to do with Cash, but um, between, like, Ben Simmons, Marcus Smart, Eric Bledsoe, Patrick Beverly, Chris Dunn, Drew Holiday, uh, Gary Harris, Josh mm-hmm. Richardson, Chris Paul. Um, there are like a lot of guards who have had really impressive defensive seasons. And I think Lowry and Van Vliet are definitely in that mix. And I kind of think it's a travesty that Lowry's never made an all-defensive team. I feel like that's because what he does at the defensive end is a little bit more subtle. Like, he is not this enveloping point of attack ball hawk mm-hmm. who is going to be able to like swallow guys up uh he does get beat off the dribble a lot of the time like he is small he doesn't get a ton of steals um but so much of his work is just like kind of reading and reacting switching and taking bigger guys in the post um but also just like being in the right place at the right time and a lot of time you don't notice that stuff mm-hmm. but um there's so often when like his instincts as a helper are just so on point. And if you like, he's a perfect guy to stick on a non shooter because he will just go and like wreak havoc everywhere on the floor. And you might not notice as you're watching in real time, like why an opponent's set has gotten completely gummed up. (laughs) And if you go back and watch it again, you'll find out that it's because, you know, Lowry was essentially tracking the path of the ball and sealing off any opening and there's a driving lane there and suddenly it's not because he's standing right there ready to take a charge. Um, like he, he gets by on intelligence at that end of the floor. And I feel like that doesn't always get rewarded. I feel like it does with Chris Paul, but Chris Paul sort of marries that with an ability to also, uh, sort of make flashier plays at that end. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I, if I was like putting a Raptors guard, uh, on one of the all defensive teams, I would pick Lowry. Um, but I think, I think guys like like Smart and Simmons and even Chris Dunn, who I think was was excellent at that end this year, might have a little bit better case than he does. 
That's fair. Um, I think I would love for there to be like a stationary camera on like the baseline or something that Kyle can turn to whenever that thing you just described happens where a play falls apart just because of him being smart and <laughs> maybe he doesn't make like an outward play to blow it up or anything like that. But when he does do something to blow something up that's subtle, he just turns Jim Halpert like to the camera and just gives a little snide little smile. I think that would be cool. Um, we'll call it the Lowry cam or something like that. So are we in agreement that we think the most likely to get on is Siakam? The one we want the most is Lowry, and the one that w- like should get it is OG, but might not? Yeah, that that sounds yeah. about right. Yeah. As it um, turns out, the Raptors have a lot of good defensive players. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it was pretty spectacular. And it's still crazy to me, like Kawhi, who I didn't even think deserved to be on one of the all-defensive teams last year because I thought he was pretty much coasting for most of the season. But that was the first guy they ever put on any all-defensive team. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I I also think there's a chance they don't get anybody this year, which would be stupid, but I I think it could happen just because it is sort of like a split-the-vote thing because there's so many interesting guys who Mm -hmm. are deserving in different ways, but maybe there are others. And I also just like when I think about the forward spots – in my brain, Giannis is big enough to just take three of those spots on his own. So <laughs> it just feels like there's less spots available, even though that is yeah. obviously not true. Um, but anyway, we can leave defense alone. That's probably the most interesting one. Uh, most improved, I mean, I don't think they're going to have... I think early in the season, Siakam looked like he had a pretty good case. And I still think he probably has a pretty good case because, I mean, the the change in his shot chart and the... Yes, there was a drop-off in efficiency, but it wasn't like a drastic, dire you know, game-destroying drop-off in efficiency mixed with just the the load he had to carry. I think, you know, that deserves a lot of credit, but I think probably Bam's going to win that. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts? Is it Siakam? Is it Norm Powell? Like, does anybody have a shot at this? Um, I, I don't really think any of them do. Uh, I think, like, you could make a pretty compelling five-person ballot for this award just out of Raptors players, I think. <laughs> and if you, I mean, like, I would put Luca, Tatum, and Bam probably ahead of any Raptor. Yeah. But I think you can make a case for Siakam. I think you can make a case for Powell. Um, I think you can make a case for Fred. I think uh, you can make a case for OG. Like, this is actually one thing that bothers me about this award is that like it's almost always about offensive improvement yeah and i don't know that like the most improved defenders in the league really ever get enough shine not that og wasn't a great defender before but i really feel like he took it to another level this year and offensively he showed a lot of stuff that he wasn't showing before like a little bit of off the dribble chops um like some pretty impressive straight line drives and like a spin move that he wasn't really showing before like i think he came a long way um if you really wanted to kind of stretch the definition of the award, I think you could put Ibaka in the mix for the offensive season that he had. Um, I just think it's it's pretty remarkable how many players on this team uh, took significant steps forward this year. Yeah. But um, I feel like if I were to put a Raptor on the ballot, it would probably be Norm. Mm-hmm. Like. He's the guy, I feel like, whose performance this year uh, like, ha- had shown like the most significant progression from where he was at last year. Like, I did not remotely see this coming from him. Whereas I feel like with Siakam, I mean, definitely, you mentioned the shot chart. Like, the fact that he went from basically taking like 90% of his threes from the corners 
to essentially flipping that entirely on its head where like now almost all of his threes are coming above the break and so many of them are unassisted. You know, he's shooting off of the dribble and um, he's creating way more unassisted baskets in general. Like that's all super impressive and super important, but I don't know that it necessarily came completely out of left field the way the norm thing did. Yeah, that's uh, that's totally fair. Both, I think, noble like fourth or fifth cases. But yeah, I think the Tatum, Bam, and Luca trio is probably guaranteed to be in some order on that on that ballot. Um, let's move on to the all rookie teams because obviously there is a rookie who got jilted from the all rookie showcase at All Star, who people seem to like very much, and that is Terrence Davis, who, by sort of the advanced metrics is one of the three or four best rookies in the league this season, doing it on a very good team. And, you know, his plus minus is absurd. He has the best net rating on the team among regulars, played in every game for the team this year, the only guy to do so, which is crazy, and was just like a bloody delight to watch. I also think it's very unlikely he's going to get on this all-rookie team, unfortunately, because uh, other guys scored more points, and that tends to kind of be the thing here. And that sucks. Uh, Yeah, I mean... I think he was going to get on the second team. Um, you do? I just, yeah, I do. I mean, I don't... Like, you start getting toward the, the tail end of that second team. I don't know. Like, there aren't that many... Uh, even, like, from a statistical standpoint, I don't know if there are that many rookies who kind of jump out as being obviously ahead of him in the pecking order, especially they when do, you just... Is it positions in the all-rookie, or is it just five No, guys? it's just it's just the five best. Okay, so, so that... Okay, I thought it was positions, so that changes things a little bit. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think if you account for team success, which I would hope that, you know, the voters are going to do, um, and then you just, you know, sort of start looking at his ridiculous, you know, statistical profile, obviously in limited minutes, but like, if you look at his efficiency, his per 36, and then the impact stats, like, um, the Raptors were ridiculous with him on the floor. Like they had better than a plus 10 net rating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were better at both ends when he was out there. Uh, and I mean, as a shooter, I think, you know, outside of like the big men, uh, there was nobody who was scoring more efficiently than he was. And to do that for a team that was poised to, to finish second in the East, like had the third best record in the NBA when the season was shut down. I feel like that has to get some recognition. I'd be pretty, not that I really care about this stuff, but I'd be pretty disappointed if he didn't. Yeah, so I think, I mean, Zion only played 19 games, but I feel like he's going to get on because he's Zion, um, which th- that takes up one spot. I think John Morant for sure. Kendrick Nunn, unfortunately, uh, will probably get on, which is a bummer. Uh, you probably talk about why he uh, was not drafted a little bit more often. Um, it's because of domestic violence, in case you weren't aware. Uh, RJ Barrett was bad. But he's also I don't this this stupid award. This, these teams always just feel like the the big sexy name guys. Which I, like I like Barrett doesn't deserve to be on over Davis. I don't think in any world. But I would be kind of surprised if Barrett wasn't on it, even just because he scored lots of points. And that again is kind of what it comes down to. Um, so if you take those four guys and yell at me if you disagree with any of them, I think Eric Pascal, while he was pretty inefficient, probably gets on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kobe White kind of showed things a little bit near the end of the season so i think he's probably on that's six i think rui hachimura is bad but he also scored a lot of points so he's probably going to be on so that's seven and then you got three spots left between like tyler hero darius garland pj washington brandon clark and i guess davis would be sort of the next guy in that running 
Well, um, I, I mean, Brandon Clark's going to be ahead of all those other guys. Yeah, like, I was just I going by points scored per game, so he he was down a little bit further. But yeah, he's absolutely going to be on there for sure. I don't think Hachimura gets on. Like, the Wizards were so bad, and uh, I mean, that's the ninth seed you're talking about, Joe. <laughs> um, <laughs> and like you know, for on a bad team, I feel like you really have to do something pretty special to to stand out. And like Hachimura was fine, like he. He can score, I guess, but like, I don't know. Like, I, I, I just don't. I, I don't see why he would have a better case than Terrence Davis. And now I'm like, obviously, I'm trying to put myself in the mind of like an average voter. And maybe you just sort of, if you haven't watched a ton of either of these teams, you look at the statistical profile and just give it to the guy who scored more and played more. But um, I don't really see that for Hachimura. With Barrett, I guess it's a little bit more complicated because he was asked to play such a large role mm-hmm. for the Knicks. And uh, the, the sort of nosediving efficiency as a result of that is kind of not his fault. But I don't know. I just felt like there has to be some consideration for it, like an ability to meaningfully contribute to one of the best teams in the league, even if you are necessarily doing it in limited minutes because like the team around you is so good. I, I feel like that just has to matter. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Brandon Clark, I think, is in there for sure. Uh, Hero probably gets on. Um, I mean, for the same reason. Like, he was contributing to to a pretty damn good Heat team. Uh, but, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Beyond those, like, top, top guys. Uh, like, yeah, P.J. Washington was pretty good. Um, I don't know. I, I just feel like... I feel like Davis has to has to end up on there as like one of the one of the last couple of guys on the second team. I I really hope so, and I think it's going to come down to like what the percentage of voters is that are smart. Because like I think like the smarts. I haven't listened yet to the Zach Lowe Chris Herring podcast where they're talking all rookie teams, but I would imagine both of those guys are going to put Terrence Davis on their teams. Yeah, I, they both I, there's also a lot of dumbs who vote on this stuff, and I think the dumbs might not think of Terrence Davis at all because he comes up 20th in points per game despite, you know, a lower number of minutes played and, you know, the, obviously the, the lesser usage and all that stuff. Um, but, yeah, I, I, hopefully he gets in there. Terrence Davis rules, man. Also, I've noticed uh, in playing NBA 2K for the first time the last couple of days, he's really fucking good in 2K. So uh, that has to count for something too, probably, maybe. I don't know. Um, let's go to the last one that the Raptors are probably involved with. I guess there's all NBA too, so we'll get to that uh, very quickly because I know you got to split. But uh, Nick Nurse is going to win Coach of the Year, correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, I have a feeling, and maybe this is me overvaluing Nick Nurse right now, but I have a feeling that Nick Nurse is the most likely guy among all coaches right now to be the next, like, Greg Popovich in that everyone just kind of acknowledges he's the best coach but doesn't win the award hardly ever just because it's not really an award for that and it's for surprising coaches. Do you agree with me or disagree with me? Well, I think, yeah, there are a lot of... um a lot of indicators that that's correct, obviously. Um, like, there were any number of years when Popovich could have won when he didn't, uh, just because it's the Spurs and they were expected to be good, and there's voter fatigue and all that. No coach has ever won that award two years in a row, um, which sort of tells you that it's not really about who the best coach in the league is, but more just about, uh, you know, which coach was able to help coax a surprising performance out of a team that people <laughs> didn't expect to do a whole lot. That's just sort of 
how it tends to go. And I think the stars were just aligned perfectly for Nurse to win it this year because of the reduced expectations for the Raptors, the injuries that they dealt with, obviously the, you know, the significant losses of Kawhi and Danny Green, and the fact that the Raptors still somehow wound up with, uh, I think, the identical record after 64 games that they had you know, at the same point last year. And, and to have done it in a way where like his contributions are so visible, I feel like that's a thing with coaches is always like, you don't really know, right? You kind of just assume, well, we didn't expect this team to do much. They really overachieved, so let's give credit to the coach. And sometimes it's deserved and sometimes it's not. But I feel like in Nurse's case, you can real like the ingenuity and the creativity and the boldness, like that stuff is on display pretty much every night. And I feel like that's rare. Yeah, I uh, I think Blake Murphy made this point on his podcast this week with Eric as well and just sort of said, like, it certainly helps that he's like a flashy coach and he's like very memeable on the sidelines and he plays guitar and he, you know, comes up with all these crazy ass schemes that have kind of, you know, not really been in vogue for a long time. And I do think there's like you could really tie the increase in zones across the league this season directly to him in the finals last year and even, you know, coming into this season as well. Um, you know, like I'm not sure the exact numbers, but I know there's been a significant uptick in teams playing zone and I like it it only stands to reason it's like a copycat league thing, right? And so credit to Nick Nurse for bringing back the zone and making it cool again. Uh <laughs> and so yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty elementary. It seems like I think the uh, Athletic did a poll where like eighty percent of people pick Nurse to win. Usually, it's a very uh, split and divisive vote, and I don't think that's going to be the case this year. So, uh, preemptively, congrats to Nick Nurse. Let's wrap up here, Joe, with the All NBA teams. Uh, kind of like the MVP a little bit. Uh, I'm not exactly sure who I most want to get the spots. I think there's a chance the Raptors get two. I think there's a chance the Raptors get zero. I think it's most likely they get one. Where do you think Pascal and Kyle fall in the All-NBA debate? Um, I, again, like with the MVP thing, I would put Lowry on the third team. Yep. Uh, and again, I did this exercise with Cash, and I had Lowry on the third team. And I ultimately actually had Siakam being like my first cut in the forward group. But... I think that if the Raptors do get one, that he will be the one. I think he's just generally recognized as being like their best and most important player, even though I don't necessarily think that that's true. Um, and, and the reason, like he would absolutely be deserving. The only reason that uh, he didn't make the third team that I put together was just because like, it's pretty heated competition for those last couple of forward spots. Right. And it came down to like him versus Middleton, Tatum, uh, Jimmy Butler... And I think I, I think I wound up going with Middleton and Tatum in the end. Um, but like it's extremely close between all of those guys. I just thought like Middleton had such a ridiculous shooting season. And obviously for him to have done that for a team that was really having a historic regular season in Milwaukee. And I was also just very impressed with what Tatum was able to do uh, toward the tail end of the season and how I think the way that he... Like when, when Kemba went down and the Celtics kind of had to turn to Tatum to be this lead ball handler who was sort of carrying them as like a primary offensive guy who was doing a, a lot with the ball in his hands. I feel like that was the thing that as much as Siakam offers, that was the thing that he wasn't quite able to do at a high level. 
I feel like he struggled when the Raptors asked that of him and when when either one of Lowry or Fred was out and, and Siakam had to take on kind of an increased initiator role, uh, I feel like we saw a few warts. And, you know, he was really good in spots at doing that. Uh, but at the end of the day, I felt like Tatum had just been like a little bit better. But like we're really splitting hairs, I think, when we're making that comparison. So you got Tatum, you got uh, Middleton, obviously LeBron, Giannis, Kawhi. Who was the fourth guy you had? Um, or the sixth guy? Well, Davis. Like I considered, oh, right. him, a for- I considered him a forward. Uh, mm, I know some okay. people might put him at center, but like he's played like I don't know more than eighty percent of his minutes at power forward this year. I think so. Yeah, it yeah. felt like I, I. I mean, I think that it's fine. Like I don't really have too many moral quandaries about it, just because. I sort of think that all NBA should be the 15 best guys regardless of position. Yeah. But, um, you know, just I, I felt like it would have been a little bit disingenuous to put him at center and, and squeeze him in that way because he really hasn't been a center this year. So yeah. um, that was that was how I had it shaking out. But I, I think there's a pretty good chance that Pascal will get on. I think there's a very slim chance that Lowry will get on, which is disappointing to me because mm-hmm. I really think he deserves it. Um, and so I like, I had him, I had him on the third team with, um, I think I, I think I made Butler a guard and had him with Butler and like over, over Kemba, over Trey Young, over Beal. Um, I think he was more deserving than any of those guys, but I don't think the voters will see it that way, unfortunately. Yeah. I think Butler maybe doesn't deserve to really be on. I think he's the second most important player on the heat. And I think his shooting numbers were so shitty that that should kind of count for something. Well, his um, three-point shooting numbers were shitty, but like yeah, his fair. true shooting was like up around his career best. Like he was yeah. well above his career average because he was getting the free throw line so much and shooting it pretty well from mid-range and scoring at the rim. Like, um, look, there's it, certainly a hard anti-Jimmy Butler bias built into my opinions on Jimmy, on Jimmy Butler. So uh, keep that in mind. <laughs> I think he was really good this year, honestly. Yeah. And I, I don't quite agree that he, like Bam was awesome. Don't get me wrong. And they were, you know, really obviously 1A and 1B for that Heat team. And I think they were both great. But I feel like people have used this Adebayo breakout to like diminish what Butler did for that team. And I don't think that's entirely fair because I, I do think he was awesome this year. Oh, fine. Thanks for calling me on my shit. Um, I, I still, yeah, I, I mean, it'd be lovely if, if Lowry could get on there. That, that would be great. I, I, I think, you know, the fact that there's no Steph this year probably makes it a little bit easier for him to squeeze in there. But yeah. I ultimately no agree. Yeah. I also think, so the, quickly here, I know you got to go. But so the Siakam thing versus Tatum is interesting because it is a full season award. And Tatum started off the season mightily shittily like he was pretty bad for the first couple months of the year where pascal was going off and like was legitimately in the mvp conversation for the first month or two of the season before tailing off a little bit himself but i don't think siakam tailed off to the point that it you know i don't think he ever tailed off to the point where he was playing the way tatum was in the first couple months of the season and i also think Yes, maybe Tatum right now is the better player than Pascal is, but I think you have to consider the full breadth of the season, right? And so I think I would probably put Pascal ahead of Tatum just on, you know, also on the merits of like they won more games and were a few games ahead in the standings, and I think that should matter. And so I think I'd go that way, but yeah, it's, uh, 
And maybe if you slide Davis to center, if someone does that, or if the, the, the voters do that, or the NBA determines that that's what he is, then maybe it changes the, the chances and both guys get on. But I think like the full season argument is kind of what's in Siakam's favor over Tatum. But um, unless you have anything to yell at me about being wrong there, uh, we can uh, we can wrap it. No, yeah, I think that's totally fair. And again, like I, w- I would have no issue, obviously, with Siakam making it over Tatum. Um, I think it's really close. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think even early in the season when Tatum was not having a great offensive year, I think he was still really effective defensively. And like that Celtics Fair. defense yes. was so much better than I expected it to be, given just how decimated their front court got in the off season. But I think he was key to making a lot of that work at that end of the floor. And like they played a lot of small ball lineups in which he was basically the tallest guy on the floor. He was able to make that work. Um, I think he's a really great team defender, and he doesn't do it really with as much flash as Siakam does. And ultimately, I do think Siakam's a better defender than him, but. Uh, I think he did a lot of really good work at the defensive end as well. Interesting stuff. Uh, I, hopefully we get some more stuff to add to these cases. I don't think that's even remotely possible at this point, but uh, hopefully we get to see actual playoffs and we get to see playoff awards and stuff handed out too. I guess that's not a thing, but we'll get the finals MVP uh, hopefully at some point for whatever three-game series they play, and we can <laughs> debate that as well. Um, Joe, this was wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Anything you'd like to plug? Just the usual stuff. I mean, download the Score app if you don't have it. Uh, follow along and read my features. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Joey underscore W. Subscribe and listen to Pound the Rock uh, with yours truly and Joe Casharo. We put that out once a week. Um, yeah, I think that's you know it's about it for now. It's not a whole lot going on, so. There sure is not, but uh, thanks so much for taking the time, man, and uh, you, you kick ass, as always, and you're uh, just so absurdly and uh, almost like infuriatingly smart about basketball, and uh, I appreciate you coming and making me look stupid, as you always do, um, through no intention of your own, because you're a very nice guy. Anyway, uh, that's going to do it for today's show. Please subscribe to, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. It's very much appreciated when you take the time to do that if you have a smart device in your house and you want to listen to a locked on podcast while you're hanging out doing chores playing video games whatever it is just tell your smart device to play a podcast and then the name of the podcast you want to listen to and uh that's gonna do it for today's show we'll be back again on monday and we'll talk to you then on another episode of locked on raptors You thought I was gone, but I am not. Hey, everyone, uh, just wanted to tease something up for you today. We want to share with you the best of one of our best programs on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Rejecting the Screen has amazing interviews with NBA people uncovering never-told stories or unknown tales of the NBA. Hosted by Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov, you can subscribe to Rejecting the Screen on iTunes or follow on Spotify. Here is a collection of the best of Rejecting the Screen with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko. Enjoy! Hey, it's Noah Kozlov from Rejecting the Screen on the Locked On Podcast Network. Adam Stanko and I get together twice a week to talk hoops with folks who have touched the NBA on all sorts of levels, from all-stars, coaches, executives, and media members. Recently, the number three pick in the 2006 NBA draft, Adam Morrison, joined us to tell a story about how Kobe Bryant, his former Lakers teammate with whom he won two rings, went above and beyond to lift his spirits. It was a year after I was out, and so I wasn't playing, obviously, and I was really depressed, and I was basically a hermit in my own house, and I was 
didn't go out in the community at all. And then, you know, if you did, it was one of people asking you, why aren't you playing? And I was, you know, I'm 26 at the time or whatever I was, and, you know, number three pick and just really low point in my life. And I get a text from Robert Laura, the, the Lakers security and it was Kobe's like one of his best friends. And he said, Hey, what's your address? Uh, I got something in the mail for you. And I get the package and it's um, an autographed jersey from Didier Drogba. Um, who was my favorite player. I'm a Chelsea fan. You know, it was from Kobe. And game-worn jersey, you know, signed Didier Drogba, to Adam, best wishes. And I always thought Kobe, you know, made a phone call, which is, would be fine. It's still cool as shit. It's unbelievable. The night he passed, I'm scrolling through, reading everything, and I'm emotional. And on Chelsea's, you know, Instagram page, it's him with Didier Drogba, holding up a jersey and it says to Adam best wishes so he went up to my favorite player got it signed for me without me even asking and sent it to me when he knew I was was low that's that's what Kobe Bryant was man he was just one of those dudes who understood his own aura when four-time all-star Sean Marion hung out with us not only did he tell us that he tried to recruit Kobe Bryant to the Suns the summer that the Suns ended up signing Steve Nash and Quentin Richardson he also told us that his 2006 Suns team should have won the title. In the 2011 preseason, his Mavericks teammate Jason Terry was so confident they'd win it all, he got a tattoo of the trophy. We was at the Sean Stevenson house. We had a game in Orlando, and um, we went to his house and you know, a few through the team, and uh, we was over having bar eating and stuff. And then this tattoo guy came over there, and Jet guy tattooed a tra- trophy on his on his bicep. I was like, damn, dude. I was like, for real? I was like, okay, okay. I'm loving it. I'm loving the, the, the confidence and the swag we have right now. So, like, just let alone, don't nobody else, know, don't nobody else in the world know we do, we're doing this and we're doing this right now. Because everybody, everybody in the league has aspirations. A lot of teams have aspirations to win championships, but it ain't but maybe a handful that actually, actually can do it. You know what I'm saying? So, we was one of those teams, and, like, we're sitting there going through this process and looking at this, and, uh, yeah, we was like, yeah. <laughs> Did he tell you, hey, I'm going to get a tattoo of the trophy? Did you know as it was happening? Or once he got it, he showed you, hey, he's got a tattoo of the trophy. Well, it was called, it was all kind of one sequence. He's like, we won the championship this year. I'm about to get a trophy right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we were like, okay. That's what's up. <laughs> I mean, it don't get no better than that. Come on now. It don't get no better yeah, than that. Yeah, it does it. It don't get no better than that. Kevin Willis never did win a ring, but he was an all-star and was one of the most dominant rebounders of his era. He spent year 16 of his career with the Toronto Raptors when Tracy McGrady was in year two and Vince Carter was a rookie. As expected, he had some pretty good advice for those kids. They used to call me OG, old head, things like that. <laughs> and I was, I think I was in my 15th year or somewhere up in there. And it was like, yeah, man. I used to tell him and T Mac. I say, T Mac, first of all, you need to you need to stop falling asleep on the bench and practice. You need to, you got to stay awake. You, you you keep falling asleep. I used to tell him and Vince, you guys rather hope that you get the 15 years because you you little snot nosed rookies. But you know they they were they were great great rookies, great talent. Speaking of vets and rookies, when Suns legend Eddie Johnson got traded to Seattle. Gary Payton was a rookie point guard, and since everyone loves a good one about GP running his mouth, Eddie delivered. And I remember one day at practice, I was there for about two weeks, 
and I remember he kept disrupting practice. And Gary's a smart guy. He had he had a right to talk in that regard because I got to know him. He really knows the game, obviously. He's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest defenders ever. Now, but at the time he was a rookie. And rookies were not supposed to talk under my watch. Right. So that's that's what it was for me. And I just couldn't get over the fact that this rookie kept talking, you know, and I let it go for two weeks. And I asked Nate McMillan, I said, is it a point in time, man, when you all like going to say something to him? And Nate was like, man, you know, you know, Nate kind of shook it off. And I said, well, I'm going to say something. And lo and behold, one practice, he's got the yapping and, you know, coaches going over stuff and he yapping, he yapping. And I just finally said, would you shut the F up? About 15 years later in Seattle, P.J. Carlesimo was coaching the Sonics with rookie Kevin Durant. When P.J. came on the show, he revealed how ahead of the curve his staff was when K.D. was on the floor. One good thing we really did with him was we exposed him to a lot of things in terms of we played him at two, we played him at three, we played him at four. We put him in pick and rolls. We encouraged him to shoot threes. It's his only bad three-point percentage. If you look at his percentage year by year uh, in the NBA, it's far and away the lowest one. But again, uh, in those days, it was even a bigger jump from college three to NBA three. And Kevin didn't shoot a lot of threes uh, at Texas. And we, we had him do that. And at times we were criticized, like, why are they playing this guy at guard? Why, like, why are they putting him in pick and rolls? You know, why are they letting him dribble the ball up the court? Because he could. Staying with coaches, Brendan Haywood won a title with the Mavs in 2011. And when he joined LeBron in the Cavs under David Blatt, it was obvious when a head coaching change was needed. We could see late in ball games, if he had to draw up plays, we could see he was super nervous, his hands would be shaking. He'd have to give the clipboard to Larry Drew. Larry Drew would draw the plays up. And when you see that, you understand. Like, this dude ain't ready. He's not ready for this. He's not ready for this. And it's not his fault because he, he thought he was taking on a rebuilding project. And then next thing you know, LeBron James calls up David Blatt and says, I'm coming. And now instead of taking on a rebuilding project with Kyrie and Deion Waiters at the forefront of it and Tristan Thompson, you have LeBron James and Kevin Love there. And now you're competing for a title. Uh, I just don't I, – I think just Coach Blatt got hit with too much too soon. But it was easy to tell right away that Coach Blatt was probably in over his head. Just like a head coach can lose a team, a woman can tear one apart as well. Butch Beard was an assistant with the Mavericks in the mid-90s as Grammy Award-winning R&B singer Tony Braxton came in between stars Jason Kidd and Jimmy Jackson. I mean, it, was, it, it ended up being Jason and Jimmy, all right? Chasing Tony. Tony's not caring about either one of them. And then the team was taking sides. So I'll never forget, we had, we, we, we had a damn team meeting. And I said, guys, it's a woman that's breaking us apart. And if, if the woman is that good, please, I want to see what her mother looks like. Because I want to <laughs> date her mother. Come on. Entertainment and the NBA will always be intertwined. The first to do that on the media side was the New York Post's Peter Vesey who was also the sideline reporter for the national broadcasts on NBC. We asked Peter about his post-game interview with Carl Malone after the Jazz lost in the finals to the Bulls in 1997. The YouTube clip is titled, Peter Vesey Tries to Get Punched. Carl was always a great interview. He would never 
not answer a question. You know, we really didn't get along. I, I disliked him on many levels, respected him on many other levels as a player, but, you know, he was a dirty player. And the first time that they showed it to me, I didn't even remember it. Okay. So I did this interview. I had no agenda. I was just going to ask him some tough questions. And um, I didn't care how tough because I really didn't like him. So, <laughs> but I knew he was going to answer them. <laughs> so, so I, I wasn't, I didn't feel unsafe and I didn't feel like I was doing something wrong. And it really never, it never dawned on me that that came off the way it did. You know, my son would say to me, I said, wow, what were you, what were you thinking? I said, I was just doing my job, but I, I, uh, I had no mindset going in other than I knew he was going to answer my question. In 1997, former head coach Hubie Brown was broadcasting for TNT, but five years later was hired by Jerry West midseason to coach the Memphis Grizzlies. Point guard Earl Watson was in his second year with the team and was thoroughly confused when it all went down. Jerry West introduced Hubie. I'm 22 years old. We're in Memphis, losing franchise. First time in my life I've ever been a part of anything that was losing. So it's all new to me. Just everything was like new to me. I never, I, it made me, it almost made me sick. He introduces Hubie Brown and I'm thinking, I got to call Bob because we just hired the TNT guy. This is crazy. <laughs> I didn't know his full resume, right? So the first thing he says to us, he takes the podium and he says, First, I would like to say, you all are fucking losers. <laughs> None of you are winners. If you was a winner, the other guy wouldn't be packing his stuff with his family. See, you got on fire. You're fucking losers. I'm going to teach you how to be a winner. I'm going to teach you how to be a winner. The Bob that Earl referred to was Bob Myers, his agent at the time and now the president of the Golden State Warriors. Stories like these are a taste of what rejecting the screen sounds like every week. So we hope you'll join us by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, or download and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening today. You can now follow Rejecting the Screen on Spotify or subscribe on iTunes. And thank you so much again for tuning into Locked on Raptors. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Now tell your smart speaker to go play Chad Ford's NBA Big Board.